All right, let's go to the Word, and uh, we are going to be in Mark 2 starting out. So it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more, no more room, not even at the door. I like that. When people heard Jesus was there, they couldn't help themselves but to gather in, to run in. And uh, if we let people know Jesus is here, if we let people know Jesus is going to be in Evansville, guess what they'll do? They'll gather in. People want to be where Jesus is at. They don't want to be where he's not at. So we need to make sure people know Jesus is here. We need to make sure we're inviting Jesus everywhere we go. People want to be a part of it. Okay, let's move on. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carrying, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority even to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out uh, before them. So they they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today, Lord, we just want you to speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that the message that comes forth today would not be from me, but from you, Lord. I pray that you would, God, speak to each of us exactly what we need to hear today. Let us receive it. Let us, let it not just fall on the ears here, Lord, but let it go with us. Let each of us be completely changed by what you're going to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been reading this scripture for a while, and uh, when you when you hear this scripture taught, there's always different things people point out. One of the things that first time I ever read this, first thing I thought was is in a practical sense of how mad was the guy whose roof just got ripped off, right? <laughs> Which we believe was Peter, and I would be sitting there thinking, like, man, you. I know you just healed this man, but you better fix my roof too, right? Because I don't know about you, but roofs cost a lot in your your practical sense. That's what we think, you know, and it's a it's a good thought. And um, but then we're always amazed that Jesus healed him, and uh, it's neat how he went about that, right? He uh, he said, "Your sins are forgiven." Actually, he says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." It's the first thing he said. Here's a paralytic man, and the first thing Jesus said was not, get up and walk. It was not, oh, you're healed. The first thing he said, son, 
your sins are forgiven. That's powerful. Because if you know anything about the time in a Jewish culture, probably most people, at least within the church, thought that the reason why somebody would be paralyzed was because they were a sinner. It was either their sins or their family's sins, but whatever it was, they were not accepted. If you were different, if you, if you, anything about you was different, there was a problem with you. So this man, for his, for however long he was paralyzed, probably felt like he never belonged. Nobody ever accepted him. Unless there were other people who were not accepted. That'd be it. And Jesus' first thing was not, I need to heal this man. That's his problem. His first thing was, I need to restore this man. That's his problem. And he looks at him and he says, son. Probably close to the same age, I'd imagine. And he looks at him and he says, son. Which tells me the guy probably didn't have a father in his life at that moment. Because Jesus wanted to restore him. He wanted him to know, son. I forgive you of your sins. Everybody else probably was coming to him, be like, you know, if you stopped doing this or if you did that, and they pointed out the problems he had. You know, how many of us, whenever we see somebody in a wheelchair, the first thing you think about is that wheelchair. This thing may not be all the way plugged in. It is. Okay. How many of us, so you look at somebody and you, you do that, like you see their problem when you see them, right? You, uh, you may... You may see somebody who's blind, and the first thing you're like, man, I wonder if God can heal that. You know, when we see an issue, we're always wanting to bring in healing into it. We want to bring in change into whatever's going on. And uh, our first thought is not, I need to make sure they know their love. I need to make sure they know they're cared about. Right? Because if you can love somebody who's a sinner, you can love somebody who's not. Jesus loved them before they were restored. He loved us before we were restored. You know, Pastor Chad and I were having dinner last night, and we're sitting here talking about how messed up we were before we met Jesus. Then we talked about how messed up we were after we knew Jesus. Right? Because that's the truth. We're messed up people, but, you know, it. Uh, Jesus didn't care about how messed up I was when he started loving me. When I came to Jesus, he didn't say, you know what, let's work on these things that you got going on here, and then uh, and then we'll be friends. He said, hey, I get it, you're messed up. But I love you, now let me restore you. Let me help you, let me heal you. And he's been trying to heal me ever since. And when you're a mess, it takes a while to get healing. But it's coming. It's coming. And so I, I want us to I want to look at this. This is uh I, I love the worship. The worship today is all about where we were at before. You know, we we have amazing grace. We have healing. God did something. There was grace that God poured upon us from the get-go that allowed us to move into a place to where He can start healing us. But it took grace. It took grace. And uh so I want to move on to uh, Mark 5. And I'm going to try to make this a little quick. We were a little longer this morning anyway, but I don't, I don't want to draw this all out. So um, 
Mark 5, verse 24. This is, uh, Chad talked about this not long ago, but this is where Jesus is going to heal a man's child. And along the way, there's this woman who has an issue of blood. And this woman had suffered for that for at least 12 years, which also tells me she's at least Jesus' age, probably, if not older. Some people always say she's in her 40s. I don't know. I have no idea how they figured it out. I didn't do the math. But they're walking along, and here's this woman who probably was covered up because whenever you had an issue of blood, you were unclean. Nobody would touch you. Nobody would uh, wanted to be around you. You're supposed to actually be separate from people. And here's this woman that comes up and she touches Jesus. Right? And Jesus says, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, who touched me? But Jesus knew. Right? We can walk into a crowd and we can see a bunch of people, but Jesus can point out a person who needs him. He can point out the one. Right. We don't always do that. We we can walk in a crowd. Everybody looks the same. Uh, we walk passively by them when we don't care. But Jesus said, there's one. And, the one, and But the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter. Daughter, here's a woman who was an outcast. Somebody that nobody... Uh, Probably nobody wanted to be around her. What's wrong with her? Why would she have an issue of blood? There's something wrong. Don't get around her if she's unclean. But Jesus said, hey, daughter. He restored her immediately. How many of you know that if somebody calls you daughter, or somebody calls you son, there's an intimate moment in that. There's a, a, an acceptance. Like, like, hey, woman, or hey, you, or person. Or even if they call you by their name, it's not the same as whenever they call you son or daughter. Right? It's not the same. I'm out of, uh, no. You know what's going on with that? Okay. Okay. I'll do it. It, uh, it's my fault. You're right. Uh, so, here's Jesus. Woman has an issue. And his first thought is, I'm going to restore this woman. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then he says, be healed of your disease. Jesus never like just went in and healed somebody. He restored them and then he healed them. How many times do we, first off in ourselves, walk around with these things that need healed, that Jesus, man, that sounds way better when an attendance out of my pocket. <laughs> You're wise, Ryan. Uh, how many times do we not accept that, right? How many times do we walk around and we're not even willing like the woman to go touch her or we're not like the man willing to go down and let Jesus restore us and let him know we have issues? But also how many times do we look at somebody and their issue and we want to fix that issue? Anybody with a Martha spirit in here knows that you always want to fix the issue. <laughs> right? We're good at fixing. As Christians, when there's an issue, 
It needs to be fixed. It needs to be addressed. Right? That's the first thing we do instead of walking in and loving a person immediately. You know, there's a story Pastor Chad told me a few weeks ago. He's over at the Evansville location, and there's a, a young man who's probably under some kind of uh, substance at the moment, and he's a little bit out of it. And Pastor Chad could have ran him off. He could have said, hey, man, you can't do that around here. But instead, he walks up to him and says, hey, how are you doing? And he begins speaking to him as if he could be a friend of his. And the guy was so grateful that somebody took the time to actually talk to him. He could have pointed out all the guy's problems. He could have said, hey, we can fix you, or we can do this, or you need Jesus. He could have done all kinds of things, but instead, he said, hey, how you doing? You know, if somebody comes up to you and they're kind to you and treating you like a friend, you're more apt to receive what they have than you are if they don't. It's the way it is. It's what Jesus did to you. When everybody else is saying, hey, you're going to hell, you got an issue, Jesus said, hey, I love you. I, I want you the way you are. I want to go to this other screw because this wasn't actually where I was wanting to go. And, but as I was praying again last night about this, I really believe we're going to go to John 8, verse 1. And I really want us to understand this scripture. And it, uh, we're going to look at this scripture from other scripture instead of just the way we've read it before. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? <laughs> this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. It, uh, if you read this scripture and you don't think this is the dumbest thing you've ever heard, this is the Word of God and you're trying to test the Word of God with the other part of the Word of the God, you know, he wrote it. How are you going to test him? Right? He is the Word of God. Yet they're trying to trick him. It blows my mind. You know, that'd be like the creator of Apple going to him and trying to trick him on his own product. You're not going to do it because he created it. Right? And they're trying to do that. Now, I'm going to lay out a few things here for you. The reason why they would be taking this woman to the temple is because that'd be near where the Sanhedrin would be meeting, which is like the Supreme Court. They were taking this woman to be on trial. Okay? Probably. Jesus was at the temple. They thought, okay, well, we know what the law says. Let's see what he says. So they're trying to set him up. They're going into this woman hasn't had a trial yet. They're taking her to be on trial. The law very much does say that a woman caught in adultery... 
should be stoned to death. Does anybody else know the other part of that law? A man called an adultery shall be stoned to death. If she was caught in the act of adultery, why is she the only one there? Doesn't make sense, right? If they truly caught her in the act, something's fishy. There's something not quite lining up there. Why didn't the man get brought in? Either we're not hearing all the story, this is a setup, uh, something's been compromised, the person may have been a great leader, for some reason, it doesn't add up. And you're going to the writer of the law trying to get law passed by him. That doesn't line up, right? Now, whenever you would go into the Sanhedrin, the right thing would be for them to do is to investigate, to ask questions, to to uh, cross-examine, right? Now, were they doing that at that time? It doesn't sound like it because it sounds like she was going to be stoned to death. But Jesus could very much cross-examine. And then they go on. And it says, Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. This is actually from a scripture. I've always heard, what did he write? What did he write? Did he he write their names? Did he write a list of all their sins? I don't know what he wrote. I wasn't there. Scripture doesn't tell us. But there is a scripture where this very thing is addressed. And it's Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 actually addresses what Jesus is doing in this moment. In Jeremiah 17, there's this whole list of uh, things that people are doing wrong. They're trying to take advantage of everybody. They're, actually, it's what they're doing is they're committing adultery against God Himself. Jeremiah 17, God says, I'm going to take from you and give to the ones you're wronging. Does anybody know what the punishment was for bearing false false witness in Moses' time, what Moses' law said? If you bear false witness against somebody and you're caught in it, the very punishment they would have received, you receive. I want you to hear that. If you bear false witness against somebody, the very punishment they were to receive, you now receive. It is put upon you. Jeremiah 17, God says what you are doing, everything you have because of the way you're acting, I'm going to take it and give it to your enemies. He says it in Jeremiah 17, but he also goes on, if you go down to Jeremiah 17, 12, it says, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of your sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. I'm going to read that. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. The chapter right before the woman caught in adultery, Jesus says, I am the fountain of living water. Just right before it, it's in 
John 7, he says, Whoever believes in me, all the Scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. He is that fountain, right? He's proclaiming what was written in Jeremiah 17. And he said, if anybody who would come against me in Jeremiah 17, he says, for all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. So when Jesus is kneeling down, writing on the earth, that's a proclamation of, hey, this is Jeremiah 17. You're coming against the Lord right now. You're trying to manipulate God. You're trying to, to get your way. And I can't tell you 100% that's why he bent down and wrote in there. But the fact that just before that he's proclaiming this very chapter and then now he's writing in the earth. And it says those who try to manipulate God will be written in the earth. Those who are adulterous will be written in the earth. And then Jesus bends down as they're trying to manipulate him and they write in the earth. Right? Now, if you're trying to set somebody up and they seem to know the law better than you do, and you're sitting there thinking like, okay, we're going to bear witness. Anybody know how many witnesses it took to, to bring a charge? At least two. It took at least two eyewitnesses to bring a charge. And that eyewitnesses would have to give a testimony of what they saw, each one. Do you want the guy who knows Scripture better than you cross-examining you as an eyewitness? Right? You don't want that because he knows what they've done. He knows what's going on. And the first thing he's going to say is, where's the guy? Where's the guy? Who was the guy? Why is he not here? Why is only the woman being punished? He's going to ask a whole lot of questions, and their whole story is probably not going to hold water, which in turn turns back to the fact that now you receive the punishment. Because Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew Scripture better than all of us. How about us? How often do we see somebody and pass judgment like that? How often when somebody's going through something are we like, yep, that's it. Let me ask you this. How many times you saw a person and you're like, oh yeah, that person's on drugs. Or oh yeah, that person's a horrible person. Or yeah, you don't want nothing to do with that person. How many times do we pass judgment instantly on somebody? without even talking to them, without even knowing their story, without knowing what's going on, not without knowing what has happened, we immediately pass a judgment. Wouldn't that put us in that same place? Are we not bearing witness falsely? And we want to try to help people, yet we will bear a false witness. We may go into it through the wrong heart. I don't know about you, but I know myself, I like to think I'm pretty good at discerning people. I used to think I was better at it than I am now. The older I get, I realize I really have no idea. But used to, I could see a person and I can tell you everything about them. 
I'd be like, that person's this kind of person. I'd be pretty close usually. And, uh, but I didn't really know. I didn't know why they were like that. I had no idea because I didn't take time to get to know them. I was not a good eyewitness. I was a person who would stand from the outside and point out the issues. If these people would have stopped and they addressed the whole situation and they figured it out, that woman may not be there. But she was. And I'm going to finish that scripture out. It says, but when he heard it, or when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the, with the older ones. I would imagine the older ones were probably leading the charge. They were probably the ones who were the ones that started this, and they should have been the first eyewitnesses, but they weren't. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. That had to be the greatest day of her life. The joy that had to boil up in that woman. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. That's an interesting thing, because she was, she had sin. She very probably was in adultery. First off, Jesus wasn't an eyewitness to it. Secondly, He's the God who who restores. But, for him to say, go and sin no more, tells me she probably did do something wrong. It was just handled wrong. Nothing about her situation did, it, did they handle rightly. And Jesus restored her and said, hey, go and sin no more. He didn't restore her and say, keep living the life you were living. He restored her and said, hey, stop doing those things. It'll help you. Right? And I want to talk about uh, Mark 2. We're going to go back to there, verse 13. And uh, this is always a challenging passage. He went out again beside the sea, the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. I just always love that they always come to Jesus. The crowds always want to come where Jesus is. And that's why I think when we open up the Evansville location, whenever we get doing things here the way we should, if Jesus is here, they'll come. If we let Jesus in here, if we truly live and bring Jesus in this place, it's going to be hard to keep people out because they want to be with Jesus. It says that as he passed by the he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, which is Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the, of the Pharisees, when they saw that what he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he do this? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, if 
if Chad would have went out to eat with that young man that he met the other day, there would have been Noel's been like, why is he spending time with that guy? Right? Is he trying to heal him? Is he trying to restore him? What if he's just trying to be there to be a friend? Right? We often have, we want to be judgmental when we see doing, people doing things differently than what we think they should do them. We want to judge it immediately. But here's Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. He's spending time with them. How would they know Jesus if he didn't actually sit down with them? If he didn't actually spend time with them? Right? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician. But those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I've heard Ann Vibbert share many a times that we should be a hospital. This should be a place that those who are hurting and sick, broken, this should be a place they come for restoration. This should be a place that they come to feel restored. This is even a thing we should be doing in our own lives. When people are around us, they should feel like they're kind of around a physician. They should be around a doctor that whenever I go around them, I feel healthier. I feel like there's something different, right? They should come to you with their needs. They should come to you with their problems instead of whenever they come to you and all you do is tell them all their issues and walk away. And uh, a good doctor doesn't show up to your house and start telling you all your problems. Right? Now, a good doctor will bring you in and they'll say, hey, what's going on? And you start telling them what you have going on. And I'm like, hey, we can treat that. Right? We can treat that. And then they begin a treatment plan with you. And they start helping you get restored. And they start helping you get to where you need. They don't just point out your problems and walk away. We do that a lot. We can quickly tell somebody where they're messed up or what they need or, hey, you should be doing this or that person needs to be doing that. We can do that a lot. Jesus never did that. He didn't just point out a person's problem and then walk away unless it was the religious people who should have knew better. But we can do that. We can easily see a problem and not help restore it, not be part of that solution. I can. You guys probably can't. You guys are good at this stuff, but I'll just confess myself that I can point out a problem and not always want to restore it and, and be the solution and cause a and have a uh, restoration plan with these people. But if you actually sat down with somebody and you start ministering to them, you start discipling them, and you spend time with them, you get to know their issues, you get to know what's going on. You know, somebody who's addicted to drugs, their problem probably isn't the addiction to drugs. It's probably the the thing that caused them to do the drugs in the first place is their problem. But you could tell somebody stop doing drugs, and they'd be like, I wish I could. But they can't, because there's a deeper issue, right? People stuck in a homosexual relationship, it's not the homosexual relationship that's a problem. There's something deeper. Okay? People who are homeless, people who are 
lost in depression. There's people who can't leave their homes and we're like, you just need to get up and, you know, move and do something. And maybe we need to go and figure out, hey, what's going on? What can we do? How can we help you? What can I do in this situation? But you can't tell that by just looking in and pointing out a problem. You can only do that by talking to them, getting to know them, becoming a friend with them like Jesus did, and helping come together with a restoration plan. That's how we do this stuff, right? When I'm not going to read this Scripture necessarily, but Luke 23, 32, whenever Jesus is on the cross... God went to the cross for us. And and it's not what I was going to actually share, but I want you to think and picture that when Jesus was on the cross, He was thinking about you. He was thinking about, hey, one day, Luann's going to, she's going to need me. And I'm going to do this so that day when Luann is ready, she'll accept me. I will have a re- restored relationship Jesus went to the cross because of you and for you. He paid the ultimate price for you. And for me, I I sat with a young man on Thursday and we're talking about this very thing of, you know, it's if we don't remember the reason why we're here, it's all because of this. It's because of the cross. It's because of Jesus. It's because He loved us and He wanted us that He gave the grace to us to have a relationship with us. We're we're easy to write people off when they do wrong. And uh, Jesus didn't. He said, you know what? They did wrong, and I'm going to pay for it. Right? But here He is sitting on a cross. You have, first off, what did He say first? Right whenever they're putting Him on a cross, first thing He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. Right away, they haven't even done everything, and he's still saying, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. They didn't know what they were doing, because if they knew what they were doing, if they knew he was the Son of God, they would at least walked into it with a lot more fear than they did. Right? But when you get into that Scripture, and it says, uh starts talking about the two thieves there. You have the one saying, Lord, why don't you get yourself off of here? He immediately recognizes he's God. And then you have the other one over ridiculing him, make fun of him like everybody else. But the one who was on that, that was over there calling him Lord, and he said, Lord, remember me. Even in that moment, Jesus took the time to, to restore him. He said, you'll be with me today. You'll be with me. Jesus could have been distracted by the fact that he's hanging up there on a cross. He'd been mocked. He's had his beard pulled out. He's wearing spikes on his head. He's been beaten. He'd went through a whole lot more than the other two. And yet he's telling this one, hey, you'll be with me. He didn't say, hey, man, I got my own issues. Leave me alone. Right? I got a lot going on. I'll get to you when I can. Nobody here's ever done that, have they? You don't you don't know what I'm going through right now, guys. If I, if you knew what I was going through, we wouldn't be having this conversation. 
It's not what Jesus said. He said, hey, you're forgiven, you'll be with me. Even on the cross, he's telling this guy this. Before he went to the cross, he's already forgiving everybody. Yeah, we let our situations often get us distracted on who we're going to forgive and how we're going to forgive. Or if we even have time to. How crazy is it that we can be so busy and not have enough time to to pour out grace to other people when God's so graciously given it to us? But we can do that. We can be so full of ourselves that we won't put it back out on others. And I've heard people say this, and I don't know if it's true. You'll have to tell me if it's true for yourself. That oftentimes the reason why people can't pour out grace is they've never actually let God give them grace. Because some people are in church only because it's where the people they're most like are at. And some people are in church because they grew up there or, or I don't know, it's just I felt like I belonged there. But maybe you've never actually received the grace of God. Maybe you still don't think you belong. Maybe you still are waiting for restoration. Maybe you're still waiting for healing. Maybe you're like the guy on a cross and you're like, Lord, I need you. And you're just not willing to receive that grace. Because God has all the grace in the world, but we have to receive it. If the guy is coming down and Jesus has said, hey, son, your sins are forgiven. And the guy's like, nah, I don't need that. I just need healing. And he walks away after healing and he never received the grace of God. Nothing's changed except for he can walk around sinning like he was before. He still doesn't feel like he belongs. He still doesn't feel like somebody wants him because he never received it. Same thing with that woman. But instead, she was so humbled and broken, she was like, oh my goodness. The God of the universe just healed me. She received that grace. I'm assuming that man on the cross received the grace because he had no other option. Right? But we have to receive that grace and we can pour that grace back out. I'm not going to go read Romans 3 either, but Romans 3, 21, starting there, it starts talking about the righteousness of God and how our faith restores us, but it also talks about the very grace of God covers all of our past sins. Yet we can still struggle with our past sins even though God's grace has already taken care of them. Right? So whenever you receive grace from God and He says your sins are healed, that means all of them. That means stop worrying about the stuff that's from the past and start moving on to what's in the future. Start letting Him restore us, right? I'm going to close with Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 17, there's a lot you can go into with the prodigal son. We all know the prodigal son. We've always heard it taught. And it's because it's very important. And you have the son who wants his inheritance now, which is pretty much saying, Father, I want you dead so I can have my money so I can go out and do what I want to do. And the father said, hey, here's your money. And he goes out and he squanders it all, right? And whenever he's sitting there in a pig pen and he says, you know what, my dad 
would take better care of me than this. And he goes back home, and his dad does. His dad welcomes him with open arms, and it ends up being far better than he can ever imagine. Kind of like whenever we come back to the Lord, or whenever we run to God, and he, you know, I don't know about you, but I never knew I'd have it so good. I never knew it. I didn't think it was, I didn't know any of this was possible, what God could do. But God does far more than we can ever do on our own. Yet we have in our minds, Jason said something the other day that David said about uh, expectations. We have expectations, and when they don't play out, you have frustrations. Is that right, Dave? Yeah. But we get these false expectations, and, uh, if we just leave the expectations out of it, we won't have frustrations. We just go into the Lord and let the Lord do what He's going to do. But here's this guy with expectations, and it's the brother. And says, look, these many years I have served you. It's the older brother. And he said, I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But the son of yours came who who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Sometimes we we won't accept people because we think we deserve something. Because we think we should be treated better. I've been doing this for this long. Why does this guy come in and right away he's doing this? He's getting something I'm not getting. Why is it Pastor Chad lets this person do something and not me? Why does why does somebody here do this and why is Randy friends with this guy and not me? Why does James treat this person better than he treats me? We've been friends for years. Right? We can have all kinds of things that we can put on God and say, Hey God, why why don't I have that? Why am I not there? If you sit around and you do that, man, you can be really bitter. And it'd be really hard to pour out grace to somebody when your heart tells a lot about you. Pastor Rod used to always said, you know where your heart's at by how you treat those who are elevated above you. If somebody's getting a promotion that you think you deserve, and you can't be... You can't sit there and be like, man, I'm so happy for you. I'm so grateful for you. Praise the Lord and you're praying for them that they'd be successful. It says more about you than it does that person. Because we can't let other people be blessed because we think we deserve it all. This son had big issues. This son probably had more issues than the young son because he actually thought he deserved something he never deserved. Whose wealth was it? It wasn't the son's wealth. It was the dad's wealth, and dad's letting him live under his wealth, and he still thinks he's owed something. I've been here the whole time. If I was the dad, I would have been like, yeah, and you've been costing me a lot of money. <laughs> right? It's the truth. The dad was the one who was blessing, not the son. He was just there, hey, I've been here. I've been working with you. You have, and I've been giving you an, an equal wage. Right? We've been serving the Lord in the same grace has always been there for us. We've been blessed to serve the Lord. But we have to understand God wants to give grace to people. We've got to understand God has a better plan than we have. We have to know that, hey, if it doesn't look the way I, I want it to, 
I'm not going to be frustrated. Instead, I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, that you're doing something bigger than I could ever imagine. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Ryan, you guys can come up. This son didn't get it. He didn't understand that that the father wanted his household restored. He wanted his household full. I don't think we always understand that God wants the kingdom of heaven full. I don't think we always understand that that uh, sometimes we can go without for others to have. I don't think we always understand that the need people have for what God has, right? If if I had to miss a meal so somebody else can be restored, I should be grateful for that, right? I should jump at that opportunity. This son should have been rejoicing with his dad so much more. First off, that's his brother. And secondly, here's somebody who has been restored. It's somebody back in the kingdom, you know. And when Jesus is sharing this, he's actually sharing these stories with Pharisees. He's sharing these, that whole chapter in Luke. Uh, you have the lost sheep, you have the lost coin. He's pointing out that this is right after they talked about Jesus being with sinners and Jesus being with the tax collectors. And they're judging him for it. And he's like, hey, you guys are okay whenever you're, you you find a coin and you guys are okay when your sheep is lost. But what about the one who's lost, the, the person? What about that guy who needs restored? We are grateful, so grateful for a building in Evansville. We are so grateful for all the workers who come about. And we're so grateful for all the needs that have been met. But are we looking for that lost person? Are we grateful, just as grateful, if not more, than when somebody gets saved? If we had everything, if we had 20 buildings, and we had 20 worship teams, and we had everything donated and we never had to do a work for it and nobody was saved in it what would it be for right if God gave you a job making a million dollars yet you never got to to help lead somebody to Christ what would it matter what would it matter what does anything you do on a daily basis matter if God can't use it thing the Lord's been speaking to in our prayer group and then we talked about last year, last week in the men's group was God cannot multiply nothing. He can only multiply something. And whatever we do for the Lord, He can multiply that, but He won't He won't bless an ungracious people. He won't do it. And so we're going to pray As we pray, I want you to uh, I want you to pray with me, and I want you to 
think about have you received grace? Have you let God pour it upon you? Have you truly received that? And I also want you to, if that's a yes, I want you to think about have I been gracious to others? How do I treat people I come in contact with? Do I long more to see people restored than I see than I want to see justice done? I want you to think about these things. These are important things we have to wrestle down. If we are going to affect this community, if, if Evansville is going to be successful, if Henderson is going to be successful, if we're going to actually see the kingdom of heaven grow because of this place, it's going to take grace and a lot of it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you that when I was lost, you saw a sinner like me and you thought I was worthy for your life. Lord, you were willing to step out of heaven, suffer for me. You're willing to die for my sins. And on that cross, you said that you paid it for me. I thank you that you resurrected. I pray. I thank you that you took care of everything for me, Lord, because you love me so much. I thank you for that grace you poured upon me, Lord, that you gave me before you ever even point out how how messed up I was and how you wanted to fix me. You first came in and loved me. God, I thank you that you did that for all of us, Lord. Lord, for anybody here who has struggled to receive your grace and accept it, Lord, I pray that you would help them right now, Lord. I pray you would pour it upon them. Help them to receive it. Give them so much, Lord, that it cannot help but come back out of them. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we we go forward, Lord, with with all that we're doing, Lord, with our day-to-day life, with with the new ministries that you're bringing up, Lord, I pray that that we'd be so gracious, Lord. That we would love people before we try to correct people. That we would try to restore people, Lord, before we point out any issues, God. Help us be friends of sinners, Lord. Let us look at people, God, as... Help us look at them in the way you do, Lord. Help us see lost souls. Help us see people who are hurting. Help us see people who need need your love as much as we do, Lord. Lord, I pray you would use us to help bring that restoration that only you can bring. Let us not point out issues, Lord, without being there to help. Help come up with a plan, God, to get them where they need. Lord, we need you. We can't do this on our own. And without you, we'll just stay right where we're at. So, Lord, I pray you move mightily, Lord. As we're worshiping, and Ryan's playing, 
If you need prayer, we'll be up here to pray, but I... Mostly I just ask that you pray. And you worship. Receive that grace. Find out how God can use you in it. And I will pray for you if you need it, but I... Go to the Lord first. And then we'll be here to help you after you go to the Lord. Thank you. to praying and worshiping here in a second but I just want to share this with you real quick And uh, have you ever been at a place to where you've gotten to be kind to somebody and you got to speak to them and, and share your heart with them and, and when you left you felt so good and you're, you're thinking man I wish I had the opportunity to share the gospel with them or I hope one day somebody gets that opportunity to share the gospel with them. And your thought was, man, I wish I could have done more. Or have you ever been in the, in a situation where you go in somewhere and you reprimand somebody, you tear into them and you're just like, you walk away and you're thinking, later on you're, you're at home and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just did that can't believe I lost every opportunity to possibly witness to that person. We need to live our lives where we err more on grace than we do on rebuke. Because there could always be that opportunity to go back and share the gospel, if not from you, then from somebody else. But whenever you go in and you tear up something and you... you we can hurt people so much that they would never receive it when we operate out of our own flesh. But if we go in and operate out of grace and out of prayer, God can use that. There's no damage done. There's only love that's been shared. So we need to live that way. And... Uh, keep praying and we'll keep worshiping here and I'm going to pray over it so that way if you feel the need to leave you can leave if you want to pray and worship stay and pray and worship Uh, let's pray Father God I thank you that you trust us enough to to be your servants I thank you that you love us I thank you that you are always so willing to meet us here Lord Father God I pray as we go out of this building, Lord, that your your Holy Spirit would be with us, Lord. We pray you give us the opportunities, God, to love people, to share your grace with them, God, to, to minister to other people, Lord. God, I pray that we would not just be Sunday servants, Lord, but we would serve you all week, Lord. We would share your love all week, God, that we would we would draw near to you all week. Lord, help us be dependent on you. I thank you for everybody in here, Lord. I love them and I love you. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.